1: So instead of buying a 1,000 shares of Amazon for $2,400 per share, which would cost $2.4 million, what if I could just have the option to buy those 1,000 shares if the stock, say, goes above $2,500 in the next three weeks? I'd make a $1,000 for every point that Amazon goes up. But if Amazon goes down, I'd want to cap my losses. That's exactly what options trading can do. Today on Dumb Money, our lesson in trading options. (laughs) This is Dumb Money Live with Chris Camillo, Dave Hansen, and Jordan McLean, streaming live on YouTube. We are Dumb Money. Hey there, Dave here along with Chris and Jordan. Together we are Dumb Money. Welcome to the show. It's Thursday, April 16th. These days every day seems like a Thursday. We're in a never ending Thursday, never quite getting to the weekend. It's a time to talk options. It has to be one of our like most often requested topics, right? Uh, do an options episode, do an options episode. Today we're doing the options episode. Yeah. I know that, I know that Chris went back and read the, uh, the, 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 the now he knows how to teach you. Um <laughs> and I know that options, it's one of my favorite ways to trade. Uh yesterday I bought Amazon calls. They are up over a hundred thousand dollars today. Like a hundred and six thousand dollars in profits on options that I bought yesterday. And Chris, I know your portfolio is added. Can we even say what your what your new running total for, for just the week since Monday?
2: I'm embarrassed to even say it's uh Two point five million since Monday up. <laughs> that's, that's it's mind-boggling. Almost, almost uh, exclusively due to Amazon, Netflix, Shopify, Peloton, um, Roku, right, and maybe one or two other stocks, and then a couple that I've been shorting, like you know, Dave and Buster's, and uh, but it's. Kind of surreal right now, and I don't think there's been a better time to discuss options. Oh, no, no, absolutely! Options, you know, you know, my chapter is my book, Dave, uh, that I named options after, as the chapter is "Fake It Till You Make It," because that's really how we got into options when we were teenagers, <clears throat> right? We we used to we want to fake it till we make it.
1: And before we go any further, I did find this really good clip on the uh, on the YouTube this like genius has a channel, uh, where he basically defines all the terms. So in about a minute, here's everything you need to know about options. And we'll, we'll come back on the other end and show you how to actually use them. This is my one sentence option lesson. Options are a contract that lets you buy or sell a specific stock at an agreed upon price by a specific date. Okay, we'll break it down a little bit more. A contract is just what it sounds like. It's an agreement, it's a legally binding right for you to be able to buy or sell something. I said a specific stock, but really it could be any asset. In my case, we're gonna be talking about using an ETF or an exchange traded fund. And I said it lets you buy or sell. Specifically, that is the right to buy or sell and not the obligation. You don't actually have to act upon this contractual right that you're buying. That right to buy is called a call and that right to sell is called a put. That agreed upon price is referred to as the strike price. And the specific date is known as the expiration date. That's the terminology, but it really makes it sound way more complicated than it is. The simplified way of saying how my pause button works, if the stock market goes down, I want to be able to sell it today's price instead of this lower price after it went down. And to be able to have that right, I actually have to buy a contract. The amount I pay for that contract is called the premium, just like the premiums you pay for car insurance. These contracts are a little different though, they trade like stocks, they have their own stock market actually. Uh, the Chicago board options exchange is the biggest it's been around since before i was born someday maybe i'll make a video about how i used options before i had any money and was able to afford stocks and today is that day so <laughs> and, and i know you actually got me into options i you know i i remember before you were an author and uh before you knew what you were doing, we were we were playing the options game. And I remember reading that standardized risk characteristics pamphlet that you get from your broker and thinking, this is the coolest thing ever. Like if you just deep dive into what these actually can do for you, it, it lets you take your hundred dollars and control a uh, hundred shares of Amazon. Dave, like literally right now.
2: Could, could, I, I, can we talk about just the whole thing I don't know, a lot of the people watching today might be so new to options, they don't even really understand just just what it means, like what the purpose of an option really is, just it just inherently how an option works. I, I want to take you through a little story, and this came from my book, um, and I, I read it this morning. I hadn't read this thing in 10 years, but I love this story. It, it, it's a story about, and it, but sometimes stocks get, con- it's, it's confusing talking about this in the, in the in the context of a security, right? But let's talk about it in the context of real estate because I think everyone understands real estate easier than they understand stocks sometimes. So I have this story where you are, I don't know, this guy's in Boston or something and and he overhears a major league baseball owner who is walking through the hood, right? um, With the mayor. And he overhears them talking about a new baseball stadium that they're gonna put in this area and the mayor's in on it and they're gonna get approval. And they're joking about this row of houses up on a hill that will be the cheapest and the greatest seats ever for this baseball stadium because they're gonna see right into the stadium. And there's like, I don't know, 20 or 30 houses on the hill. And so you're overhearing this, and you're like, wow, I need to go buy those houses, right? I need to buy one. And you have you know, you could think you could buy a house for $50,000, let's say, one of these houses on the hill. It's like the worst neighborhood in town. And you think for sure the value of that house is going to go up to $100,000 as soon as this news breaks that they're going to build a stadium here. So you have two options. One is you could buy a house for $50,000. And when the news breaks, you can sell that property for $100,000 and you make double your money, right? But what if instead of doing that, you could instead go to that homeowner and say, I don't want to buy your house but for $50,000, which is what it's worth, but I want to pay you $5,000 for the option to buy your house anytime in the next six months for $50,000, which is what it's worth. And the homeowner's like, I guess that's fine. So instead of spending $50,000, you spend $5,000, and you do that with 10 different homeowners, right? So you take the same $50,000 investment, but you bought the option to buy 10 of those houses for $50,000 a piece. Now, when the news gets out that the stadium is going to be built there, the properties all double in value, and you now have the option to purchase those houses for $50,000 a piece when they're all worth $100,000 a piece. Now, here's the beauty with options. You don't actually have to purchase any of the houses. You could take that option contract and sell the contract to someone else Who will then have the right to buy the houses for $50,000? So let's say you sell them the option contract that you bought for $5,000. Now it's worth pretty close to $50,000, right? So you just made $45,000 per contract times 10. So you just made $450,000 off of your $50,000, where you would have only made $50,000 before. So you supersize your gains. By a factor of nine or 10. That's called leverage. And options allow you to get that leverage. It's a very simple way of thinking about it. You could do the same exact thing with stocks, right?
1: I love that analogy. And that's why your book really kind of dumbs everything down to the point where you can just understand the principles of what's going on. And if you guys want a free copy of that book, just go to dumbmoney.tv/book. We will mail you that exact hard copy for free. We're way behind in, in shipping those, and if, you're, if you've already requested one, they will be coming as soon as uh, Chris gets around to packaging them up and putting his kids to work and slapping labels on them and all of that. <laughs> I have all
2: my stuff now from stamps.com, so I have everything ready to go to do it. I've um, Been
1: saying that for three weeks.
2: But 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 I think
1: Sign up. get get, us, get get your get your free book here.
2: But I think I think let's also talk. Can we dive into those terms a little before we talk about yes. options? Can we just dive into the terms a little bit more? Like starting with um, an option contract. An option contract is the option, but not the what's the opposite of the word obligation? Not not it's not,
1: it's, it's, it's <laughs> not it's the it's the right, but not the obligation
2: to buy. That means- Set yes. So if you're, if
1: you're talking about a call option, a call make basically is where you think the stock is going up. And so let's say a stock <clears> is trading for $100 today and you think it's going to go to $200, but you want the right to buy it at $110, right? So you're going to be buying a call option that is higher than the current trading price that's that's giving you the right to buy it there. When it goes to $120, you then have the right to buy it at one ten. Now let's say it doesn't go to one ten. It stays at a hundred. That that means you don't have the obligation to buy it at one ten. You you can just stay back and and not buy that option. And the option that you can stay back and not buy it. And so you don't lose that ten dollars. Now the but thing you-, you do lose is the premium. So the in order to get one of these contracts, you actually have to pay a premium.
2: Yes. Yeah, so so guys, the option contract is, again, the option to buy a lot of stock for a set price any between that moment when you buy it and some predetermined expiration date, which you can choose. Generally, op- most options expire on Fridays. So you kind of pick some Friday in the future. That becomes the expiration date. Now, the value of that option is a combination of two things. That option has what's called time premium. So the the more time that's left on the option, the more money that option is going to cost. If you wanted to buy an option that expires in a week, that would be relatively cheap compared to that same option that expires in six months or a year, right? So the more time that's left on the option, the more it's worth. As the option gets closer to its expiration date, it loses value. So it loses a little bit of value every day. So if you have an option that has $100 of time value left on it and it expires in 10 days, it will lose about $10 a day until it eventually becomes worthless, at least the time portion of that option value, okay? So that's what what we call the expiration date, and that's what drives the time Value of the option. the The other piece of value that's in the option, no time erosion. That's a great graph, Dave. Um, the other side of the uh, option premium uh, is the degree to which that option has inherent value that it's in the money, right? What's I, I should know the name for that? I don't know what I'm. I need to reread my chapter again. Uh, but but if an option, if you have an option to buy a stock that's worth that's currently trading for hundred dollars a share and your strike price, the the right that you have the option to buy that stock at is ninety dollars a share, then that it would inherently be worth ten dollars, right? So you have the time premium and you have how much that option is inherently worth based on how much higher the stock is trading for a call option than what the your term strike you're looking price for at. is
1: is intrinsic value. Yeah, intrinsic so that, that value. The intrinsic value. Is, intrinsic is-
2: value. So, uh, you know, we've been doing this for t- for too long. But Dave, can we just talk for a second about strike price, which is so important? To- what What's the strike price, you got I mean, Jordan, you you strike price. What is that to you? What's that? Strike price. What does that mean to you? What
0: the strike? The strike price. The strike yeah, price. Yeah, like how would
2: you explain it? Because
0: Yeah, it's the price at which um, uh, you can execute that option, right?
2: Th- and well, by execute, you right. mean it's the price in which you have the legal uh, right option, but not obligation to buy right. or sell that stock right. at, mm-hmm. right? And it's a hundred dollar exactly. strike price, right? And you can buy that stock at hundred dollars. So the and difference gonna... between
0: the strike strike price and the current price is basically your spread.
2: And can we, guys, can we talk just about calls for this first part of this, and then we'll talk about yeah. puts later? I think it's the easier way. We're only going to talk about call options right now, which is the ob- the option to purchase stock at a predetermined price, which is your strike price, anytime between now and the expiration date of that option, which is usually on a Friday at some point in the future. So now we have a pretty good idea of how options are valued. Let's talk about what an option contract is an option contract represents 100 shares of stock. This is so important, guys. If you don't get this right, you're never going to understand option pricing. If an op- a one option contract equals 100 shares and options are priced per share. So if the cost of an option, if you're like, how much is that option? And it says it's $5. What's the cost of an option contract? It's actually 5 $100 because when someone says an option costs $5, what they mean is it's $5 per share. So by purchasing one contract, you have to pay $5 mm-hmm. times 100 shares. So a $5 option actually costs you $500. Um, do you want to talk about a specific option we bought recently to help kind of illustrate this?
1: Yes. Do you want to talk about the ones that, that I think you and I are both in, the Amazon uh, April 24th expiration date so we're we're uh talking about the 2200 calls so right now we yesterday
2: we literally just bought these add these yesterday so, so yesterday Amazon
1: is currently trading at $2400 yesterday it was trading at less
2: than that uh 2200 t- when
1: we bought it $2300 say
2: but it was at twenty two forty when I bought mine. Okay, roughly twenty. Excuse me. It was at Amazon was trading at two thousand two hundred and thirty dollars, roughly, when I bought my options yesterday. So, if I want to buy a hundred shares of Amazon yesterday, I would have had to have paid. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. 135000 dollars, right?
1: Per share.
2: No, for 100 shares. For 100 shares, yes. 100 shares would have cost me $235,000. Or for in, I could have gotten the same 100 shares, the option to buy those 100 shares, at a strike price of $2,200, which is about $30 less than it was trading for, for only $45. But when I say $45, what I really mean is $45 times 100, which is... $4,500. 40, $4,500. Is that $4,500? So for $4,500, I could have controlled $235,000 of Amazon stock. Crazy, right? For exactly three days, day, four days, it expires yeah. on Friday, right? For exactly three or four days. So well, what I you, did-
1: you're, you're in the April 17th that expire tomorrow. Uh, I actually got the 24. 24- fourths that expire in eight days from now, nine days from when I bought them.
2: And Dave's would have been a little more expensive than mine because he has a whole extra week of time value. Um, But what was so interesting about this option was I actually bought 20 of them. Okay, so for me to buy 20 options, that actually represents 2,000 shares of Amazon. For me to have bought 2,000 shares of Amazon yesterday, that would have cost me uh dollars uh, right yeah. dave
0: yeah so instead
2: exactly. instead of spending four point five million dollars yesterday on those Amaz- on that amazon stock I instead spent uh what was it forty 45- five I spent I think what forty five thousand 000- dollars I spent ninety thousand dollars so instead yeah. of spending and I, have,
1: four- I have my I have my <laughs> example and, and I bought the April twenty twenty two hundred calls I bought ten of those. They were uh, they, they cost one hundred and two dollars each. each, 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 each. It means I spent one hundred and two thousand dollars to control two point two million dollars worth of stock. So those twenty two hundred call you know twenty two hundred strike price. If I were to buy stock at twenty two hundred dollars, I would be spending two point two million dollars. So for hundred thousand dollars, I got two million dollars worth of stock. Because. And if, if we take that down to smaller numbers, the, the exact same is true. So that $102 premium that you're paying for the option, if you bought one of those, you're controlling 100 shares at $2,200. So basically, you're controlling $220,000 worth of stock for a price of 102 times 100, so $2,200.
2: Right, so let's talk about leverage, Dave. So, how much leverage? That would have been about fifty. Is that about what? How much leverage is that? Let's do the division for me. Uh, that would how much stock are you control in twenty uh, two, two hundred and twenty thousand dollars divided by. Um, it, it was
1: actually uh, it would be one hundred and two <laughs> times a hundred is 10200 dollars. So it would be twenty two hundred and twenty thousand dollars.
2: Twenty two times leverage. $20,000 divided by
1: carry the one. Uh, yes.
2: Something so like so, so Dave got 22 times leverage on his money because I was willing to take more risk and buy mm-hmm. options that expired just in a couple days that had less time premium, including the option. My options actually had, let me see uh four, I paid $45 for the options at, but divided by uh, 2200 so it's 2200 divided by 45 let's see here this is important uh 2200 divided by 45 48 times leverage so I was able to control 48 times more Amazon right <laughs> than I was willing to buy Dave was controlled how much? About 22 times leverage? Mm-hmm. 20 times. Now think about that, guys. What that means is that if Amazon's not going to double, right? But if Amazon did double, um, instead of just making two times your money, you would make two times your money times 40, right? Or Dave would have made two times his money times 22. So like 50 times his money for Dave. And for me, I would have made a hundred times my money if Amazon doubles over that period. But more realistically, what actually happened, Dave, (laughs) was Amazon went up by about 10% in the last day. Crazy, Um, this is insane, but it did, it went up 10%. Since
1: since we bought it, and And it's up 4% of that is today and the rest was yesterday. So
2: how much is your option, uh, how much, you would have made, if you bought Amazon stock, you would have made 10% on your money, but you didn't. Instead, you bought Amazon options. And how much have you made on your money in a percentage basis as a result of that, Dave?
1: Well, let's let's pull that up. Hang on. I, so here's my Amazon and I am up uh, 94 Thousand dollars, So, on a percentage basis, 68% since yesterday on these 10, 2200 calls.
2: Okay. So, 66%. I am up. Uh, Mike, I spent $90,000 and my options are worth $408,000. So, I made over 400% uh, on a 10% move in Amazon. So, Amazon went up about 10% and the value of my options went up. So you see how much leverage can benefit you, right? And and when, when it goes right, when it goes right,
1: but But we also have to talk about the risk because what you did is you gave yourself two days for the stock to go up that 10%. (laughs) I gave myself nine days. And so you paid more. I paid more per contract than you by about double ish. And Had less leverage because of it, but I, you know, if the if the market had gone down for two days, you would have lost all of your money, and I still would have had seven days for it to recover, perhaps.
2: Exactly, and guys, by the way, this is such an anomaly. What has happened to us over the past four weeks, five, six weeks? All the stuff we've been talking about on Dumb Money Live is such an anomaly. This literally, I've been trading for thirty-two years actively, derivatives, options, uh, high risk. I had never experienced anything like this or even close to it in my lifetime. Uh, This is not normal. Um, I did not expect Amazon to go up 10% in two days. I was hoping Amazon would go up 2% or 3%, quite honestly, (laughs) by tomorrow. So here's what's interesting. I'm gonna get to the number one question that gets asked to me, more than any other question, when it comes to options, Chris, how do you choose a strike price? And Dave, I want to talk about this with you about this Amazon trade. Yeah, and, and
1: uh, we cho- have a we have a question from one of the viewers asking this very thing: what uh, what is in the money versus out of the money? And so, and I don't think that was the one I meant to pull up, but basically, the question is: where do you where do you pick that strike price? Why did to- we pick twenty two hundreds when the stock was trading at twenty three hundred?
2: No, no, it, was, it wasn't. Well, maybe when you got it, but when I got it, it was trading at 2230 or something like that, right? Uh, or yeah. something like that. So it, the stock was trading at 2230. I bought the 2200 call options. When Dave, where was the stock trading when you bought it again? I really don't remember. I'm let's just... call it 20, high, 2280 or something like that, yeah. right? And you bought the 2200s. So why did we choose to buy options that were already had inherent value, which is not called inherent value. What's it called? Intrinsic value. Intrinsic value. Why did we choose to purchase options that had intrinsic value in them already, which means they were in the money? If it didn't have any intrinsic value, if the strike price, the price that we had an option to buy Amazon at was higher than the current trading price, that would have zero intrinsic value. Those would be called out of the money options. Those are riskier options, right? What if, if what if we bought an option that was trading exactly had a strike price that was exactly where Amazon was trading? So if if it was trading at twenty three hundred, you purchased the twenty three hundred strike price options. That's called
1: at the money,
2: at the money. So in the money, <laughs> at the money, out of the money. It's very simple, guys. But what everyone we- wants. Everyone wants and to know we can, we why did we choose what we did.
1: Amazon. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to pull this up because most brokerages uh, color code in the money, out of the money, that sort of thing. So we'll look at the um, at the strike price that you bought. Let me expand this out a little bit and let me share my screen.
2: And while Dave is doing that, I want to tell you quickly the we will almost always purchase options that are slightly. In the money. The reason why we do that is because we are social ARB investors, meaning we are generally trading one piece of information or one piece of data that we think the market has not fully appreciated or ingested or reflected in the stock price. And once that gets reflected in the stock price, we think that stock is going to move up or down. But what we understand is that there are other things happening with the stock. There's other things happening with the sector. There's other things happening with the market in general that can cause that stock to maybe go in the opposite direction, or maybe even if the information we have is correct and it starts to move that stock in the direction we think it's gonna move that stock, there could be something on the other side that's going to counter that and the stock might not move up as much as we anticipated. Because of that, we want an element of safety. And that safety is the intrinsic value because if you buy options that are out of the money, you could make a lot more money on them because they come with a lot more leverage. But if the stock doesn't move up enough, you lose 100% of your investment. And that is extraordinarily yep. risky. Dave, George, uh, we used to do that all the time when we were teenagers, right? And even when we were in our 20s, everything we bought was out of the money and we lost our money because they were way the
1: cheaper. And so let's, let's just look at this example here. And we see that today... Amazon is right now at $2,408. And if you look down at these strike prices for calls, we're on the the left side of the screen here where the calls are, the ones that are in the money are shaded in blue and the ones that are out of the money are in white. And that difference there, if you just look at the prices, if you're betting that, so we're right at 2,400. So the 2410s are slightly in the money and they are $35. And the ones that are slightly out of the money are $32. So, and, and you can see that the further out you go, the cheaper they get, right? If you go all the way down here to the 2490s, you pay $1,195 times 100. So, you pay 1195 per contract. So, for $1,000, you could have the uh, rights to buy. Am I, am I getting this right? At 2490
2: Yeah. So, when... I think the, the the next follow-up question people ask is, okay, so you generally buy in-the-money stock options, and I understand that the reason why you buy them is you guys want to have a limited risk on your options, but which ones exactly do you buy? And And the answer to that is, we know we always talk about scenario modeling on our show. We actually apply scenario modeling to picking options, and what that means is, you know, there's other ways to do this like Black-Scholes formula where you could actually input you know, various things like volatility and option premium and it will tell you yeah. which options are the best based on what you're looking for, but
1: <clears throat> the, what's considered the fair market value.
2: Yeah, but that and- that's kind of all takes care of itself, don't you think? I think when I look mm-hmm. at an option, we have an anticipation that if the information we're trading is correct, we believe that the stock is likely to go from here to here Let's for a call option, right? And so what we do is we say, well, if we buy this strike price and we're right and the stock goes from here to here in this period of time, How much money are we going to make? And we can see, well, I'll make four times my money, right? Or three times my money. And if it goes to here, how much money will we make? Because lots of times we have different scenarios, right? We're not exactly sure what's going to happen. And so we actually take that option and we run a scenario to determine exactly how much money we would make or lose, Um, And then we run a bunch of those scenarios and we've picked the one we're most comfortable with based on the most likely scenario playing out. Because, Dave, sometimes we're like, hey, we're not so confident the stock might only go up like one percent. And if it only goes up one percent and the strike price is two, three percent above this price, then we're going to lose all of our money. But if we buy something that's kind of right here and it only goes up one percent, we lose the time premium. But we'll probably be able to still keep 70 or 80 percent of our investment, right or 60 percent of our investment, so you it just doesn't immediately to go this. to zero. And by the way, anybody can do that right? You don't have to be a sophisticated investor to run scenarios if you're like, this is how much the option will be worth. Listen, we know that if we buy an Amazon option at 2,200 strike price and it goes to 2,300 dollars, the option will be worth. right? $2,300 minus $2,200 is $100. If I paid $45 for that option, I'm going to double my money plus a little bit extra, right? Very simple math. Yep. It's just, you just have to run the scenarios. That's it.
1: And you can't, there are ways to figure out what that time value is going to be worth or what it should be worth. But if you know what that intrinsic value is and you're buying in the money, you're guaranteed that amount. The, uh, the, the amount on top of that—that that time value—is the variable. So that's that's what you never know if, if and, and especially in these volatile markets, sometimes that time value is way higher than normal. Uh, sometimes it's lower than you would expect. But that's that whole formula is based on volatility and uh,
2: time. Uh, speaking of time, how do we pick an expiration date? The expiration date is obviously picked based on when we anticipate the information that we're trading to be disseminated to the rest of the stock market? When will the rest of the world appreciate the information that we think we have, right? The, yeah. All the hard work and research we did that we think the rest of the market is just not appreciating the fact that Amazon is firing on all cylinders. And there's no reason why Amazon should have ever went down when this pandemic hit. But when will the world really appreciate that? And my thought was always this, Dave. I was thinking- Your
1: thought was two days. <laughs> and what? my thought was, your thought was two days. My thought was seven days.
2: Well, it's not like I've been buying Amazon options for the past month and recycling yeah. them every every few days, right? But But my thought was that we would see an appreciation about a week before earnings, which is exactly where we are now. And why do I think that? Well, having spent me and Jordan having spent the last you know six seven years of our lives you know working with institutions on Wall Street, the largest hedge funds and quant funds in the world uh, at a very deep level, uh, using alternative data and and educating a lot of these funds on how to utilize alternative data sets. What we've learned is that a lot of these alternative data sets, like credit card transaction data, a lot of the web scraping data a lot of the web traffic data, a lot of the channel check data, a lot of the things that the world's biggest hedge funds are using to try to front-run earnings numbers, okay, usually are coming out days to at max a couple weeks max before earnings, right? And so they're getting that data, they're interpreting it, and then they're trading on it before earnings. So I thought that Amazon, they would likely see what we're seeing about a week before earnings. And that's kind of what's happening now. I think behind the scenes, behind the curtain, you're not, you don't know this, but there's a tremendous amount of alternative data that these quant funds and hedge funds are looking at right now. And a lot of it's showing them, I'll give you a perfect example. I'm invested in a company that owns a lot, a private company that owns a lot of Amazon stores. Okay. And they're, traffic is up. I'm not going to say the exact number, but it's up considerably month over month between February and March. I know that because I'm a big private equity investor and early stage investor and I own lots of private companies. Some of them do business on Amazon. Hedge funds are no different. They have a lot of my partners in that company are hedge fund managers. Okay. So they're seeing the same thing I'm seeing. They saw it the same day I saw it they were like, wow, like, I can't even believe this company's business, Amazon business up this much. This if this is representative of all of Amazon, then Amazon numbers are going to be through the roof this quarter. So those are the things that retail investors don't really get to see that often, because they're not that deep into the financial markets. They don't need they don't have that type of in, like inside intelligence into things that are happening that are just kind of Correlated usually, right? So you know that when this company does well, usually that's a good sign for this other company, right?
1: And I know that now that you know, you yesterday bought these 2200s because you were selling some at a lower strike price of 1800. And I had the same ones. I had some 1800s that were expiring on April 24th that I sold, and I bought twice as many of the 2200s for half the price of what I sold my 1800s for, right? and um, i picked the 24th april 24th because amazon's earnings come out after the market on april 23rd so i have the entire time leading up to the actual earnings announcement and i'm going to make just a, a, an evaluation as to do i think that the that amazon is going to have all of its gain leading up to that event of the earnings and do i do i sell before the earnings just on that run up in anticipation of perhaps something being said in Amazon's earnings calls that spooks the, the investors in the stock and decide and makes them sell or people like wanting to take their profit at this new 52-week high that Amazon is at. Um, so that's, that's why I picked the 24th. So I would have the ability to decide, do I want to sell the day before options or do I want to actually wait for that earnings announcement and sell the on the one trading day that happens after earnings.
2: Um, By the way, uh, I I do want to get to one question because I just saw it. I think it's really relevant right now because we're talking about option pricing. Uh, Jordan, I know you've looked into this some too. Danny H, 1137. Do market makers dictate the option prices or does volatility dictate that? Jordan, could you kind of explain how volatility from a mathematical standpoint impacts option premiums in general?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know the actual formula or anything like that. Not the um, formula, but just the,
2: the concept <laughs> yeah, anytime, behind it, right? Yeah.
0: Anytime you have a, a higher um, VIX level, that'll take, uh, you know, the, the option price will basically increase, right? Um, because there's more, uh, there's more risk to the issuer.
2: Yeah. So basically, when volatility goes up during times like now, stock prices are going up and down by like huge swings, you can make a lot more money. With these options and the op- the people that sell the options to you, the option writers, which maybe we'll touch on later in the show. Yep. They're not going to just write you options right to buy a bunch of stock when the stock is shooting up and down for the same price they were when volatility was low and, and prices were going like this. They're going to charge you more. So it exactly. can cost you double the premium to buy the same option that you could have bought two days ago when volatility was like this. When, and when it started going like this, just based on the fact that volatility has increased. And that's why a lot of this month we've been talking about the fact that we haven't been purchasing a lot of options the past month because the premiums were so high due to the massive volatility.
1: For a good example is what we were using to hedge our portfolios was um, putting buying put options on the SPY, the S&P 500 uh, ETF. That the, the premiums got super high on that because unlike normal times where you know the the entire market goes up one percent, down one percent, it, it, you're not seeing giant changes overnight. We were seeing in one day the market going up ten percent or down ten percent, and so when you have those kind of big swings in something that traditionally trades in a much more narrow range you're going to see higher premiums for the options. And so it got really expensive to continue to buy put options on the SPY. And so what we ended up doing is just shorting directly, shorting shares of the SPY. And so that's where options, if options don't make sense and you have enough capital to be able to um, just buy the underlying uh, stock, you're able to avoid that super high premium.
2: But you lose the leverage. And so you I want to talk lose the leverage. About so we talked about how volati- market volatility increases the pricing of options in general. Well, volatility for the specific stock itself can also increase the option pricing. So if you're trying to buy options in a company that's about to have a lawsuit verdict come out next week, right? And if the lawsuit verdict is, A, the stock price is going to shoot through the roof. If it's B, you know- uh, Bad for the company, the stock price is going to drop through the floor. So, it, it, the market is not dumb. Everybody knows that that lawsuit verdict is coming out next week. They're not going to sell you options cheaply on that stock. So, even though market volatility might be really calm, you might look at that stock and go, Wow, the options are so expensive. Why is it I, it's so expensive for me to buy leverage? Well, obviously, because who's going to want to sell you that leverage on the cheap? when they know that there's something that's about to happen that would cause massive volatility in the stock price. So there are no there's no shortcuts here guys. There's no way to kind of cheat the system. It's an efficient market, meaning the option prices are priced appropriately for what is currently known about that particular stock, that sector and the market at large. So don't try to don't think you can kind of outsmart the option writers. It's not about that. It's about outsmarting them by knowing something that they don't know.
1: It's, yeah, and, and it's really just like a stock. The the same efficiencies that sets the price of a stock when more people want to buy it, the price goes up. When more people want to sell it, the price goes down. There always has to be a buyer, whether it's an actual individual who's selling that option or it's a market maker who is selling that. There's always, there's a bid and an ask and, and there's a price that that someone is willing to buy and someone is willing to sell, right? And I think you go into that in your book when you talk about, you know, you have to think of it like you're buying an actual tangible thing where every time you're buying an option, there is someone selling you that option.
2: Yeah, exactly. And by the way, we've focused right now in this conversation about call options very quickly. Put options are the exact same thing, just the opposite. So instead of having the right but not the obligation to purchase a lot of stock at a set price between now and some predetermined date, you have the option to sell a certain stock at a set price anytime between now and some certain time in the future. That's the expiration date. That's the only difference. And you buy a put when you think the stock's going to go down. It's very yeah. simple, guys yeah right?
1: and and you and if let's explain that a little bit more. You buy and I see a lot of our people in the uh, chat are very sophisticated and want to know more about our strategies, but a lot of other people are watching this because this is really a lesson for beginners as well. So if you think a stock is going up, the reason you buy a call is because you want to be able to lock in a price that is lower than where you think the stock is going to go. So you're buying that call as the stock goes up, you you want to be able to buy it at this lower price if you're buying a put, you think the stock is going down. So you're picking a predetermined price that you would love to sell the stock. And if the stock goes below that price that you've predetermined that you would like to sell it for, you then are making money because you sold it here and the stock has gone down. It's it's the same buy low, sell high ha- uh, mentality that you have heard forever. That's how that's how the stock market works. The options market is the exact same. So you're buying a call when you think things are going up. You're buying a put when you think things are going down. And I don't know if we'll get to it later in the show, but there's more sophisticated ways. There's all kinds of things that we really don't do. We we don't do these multi-leg buy some buy a call and sell a put kind of strategies. That's that's beyond what the way we use options. Um, But the one thing that we might do is if we own the stock, if we had, say, a thousand shares of Amazon that we wanted to write or sell the call, there is an income strategy that we might get to a little bit later. And also a lower cost way of buying stocks would be to sell puts. So that that's where we get sophisticated. And Jordan actually just just today was buying some Amazon, and I was telling him, "Well, you should have just sold some puts, and you would have the same effective uh, result selling those puts because you would be you're basically selling a put, which is the right to sell. So you're you're, ob- you're you're making yourself obligated to buy it at a predetermined price if you sell a put."
2: Can I say why we don't get sophisticated with options? Um... We only trade options. We only trade in general when we have fairly high conviction that we have information that the market hasn't fully digested or appreciated, right? Yes. And so if we feel that way, we're just we're looking to actually trade with conviction, meaning we want to trade with leverage. We are not looking to kind of wrap our options and all this fancy stuff. It just yeah. it's not how I've ever traded in 32 years. I'm never going to do it. I don't want to think about it because if you're thinking too much about construction of derivatives, then you're spending less time thinking about the important stuff, which is the information that's driving. The drivers, what
1: is going to make yes. this stock do what you think it's going to do. And the, the complex methods typically put you in a range where if it goes above something or below something, you're going to profit and it caps your losses or gains on either side. And it, it it's really not, we're looking to have unlimited upside and capping our losses. That's really all we're, we're generally using options for. Yeah.
2: And, and, and I don't want to pers- rip, I don't want to rip all the people that do that, but I kind of will, but I'm, I don't want to, but, but listen, I, I mean, I'm sure everyone has their own thing and that's totally fine. There's different strategies, but for our strategy, There is really no way that you're going to generate the returns that I generate with that type of a strategy. It's just not really possible. Um, And, like, let listen, let all these sophisticated people do it. They're not making the kind of money I'm making. They're just not, okay? So they're not making the kind of returns I'm making because they are confused by noise structural noise, mechanical noise. Um, And and they just have a different objective. You're looking to double your money on a single trade.
1: They're looking to maybe place... 50 trades a month and have each of them give them a little bit of income and limit their losses. So there's, there's just different strategies. Well, no,
2: not necessarily. I, I think we all have the same objective. Their objective is to do the best they can with their limited ability to gain knowledge. Other people don't because they're not good at doing that. Okay. If you, anybody has the ability to be good at what we do, we're not that, smart I'm sorry we're smart but we're not that smart there's no nothing that we do that anybody couldn't do when people say chris how do you, have you generated you know 80% annualized returns av- annually for the past 13 14 years turning tens of thousands into eight figures how how does that happen it happens because we're focused on a strategy that works and we don't get caught up in the noise and all the bs that 99.9% of other investors and traders do <clears throat> it there's so listen everybody wants to make a lot of money right for the most part if you can't make a lot of money then you try to do these other strategies to maximize a point a year over what you might have gotten without the strategy okay it's just not what i do by the way this is a great time to say we're not financial advisors we're not advising you what to do um we don't know your risk tolerance we know our risk tolerance and that's the only thing we know so do not do what we do but learn how we think and if the way that we think is appealing to you, you can use it as an educational tool to develop your own strategy or spin-off of our strategy. But certainly we don't, are not telling you how to trade or what to do in your account because we don't know what your risk appetite is. And that yeah. would be irresponsible of us. So
1: we do, we're just wanting to kind of shed light on the way we do things. And if you watch these live streams, if you, if you come back every single time we do one of these, over time, you're just going to, I, I hope, pick up a way of thinking about investing. That may be different than what you had thought in the past.
2: Hmm. Um, sorry guys, I'm getting my generator installed. Oh, here's my. Uh, sorry, I'm one. Give me one sec. Okay,
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, let's just uh, pull pull us closer together. There we yeah. go. Um, so let's talk about your specific trade today. You bought some Amazon, and let's look at an option strategy to like have. Done the exact same thing, but in a slightly more sophisticated way.
0: Yeah, what, so, so you, um, you, you
1: basically bought shares, right?
0: Right, I bought about uh, a hundred shares of Apple today. Or not, I'm, sorry, not Apple, Amazon. Um, uh, yeah, just uh, like straight, straight up, this morning. straight up shares, straight up shares.
1: You were buying it at maybe twenty three eighty or something, right?
0: No, it's like twenty three fifty. Twenty three
1: fifty. So let's let's pull up. Um, Options, and let's say you wanted to buy at twenty three fifty, okay? You could you could have, and we'll we'll just say you you like the price twenty three fifty. That's that's a great price for you. So you could have sold some twenty three fifty puts that expire in just eight days for sixty seven dollars and seventy cents per contract. So you bought a hundred shares, you would have sold one contract and you would have profited $6,700 just by selling the contract. Now you don't actually have the shares at that point. You only have the shares if the stock were to go lower than 2350, right? Yeah. So you would, you would not be put those shares, they wouldn't be put upon you unless the stock dropped below that price. Right. But you have that $67, regardless if it if it stays up you've made $6000 profit if it goes down to 2350 you still made that $6700 and if it goes below you still have that $6700 and you're forced to buy the stock at 2350 where you wanted to buy it anyway right yeah. if it went down to 2200 you're still required to buy it at 2350 so you basically are now buying stock at a higher price than you could on the open market but you Basically, got a sixty six thousand seven hundred dollar discount. So you're basically buying the twenty three fifty. You're you're in essence paying uh, twenty two and change. I'm not good at math, but you're basically <laughs> getting a discount on the stock. So that's right. that's kind of the the thing that I was saying. That instead of just straight up buying today, you could have locked in some profit, and then you also have the benefit of if the stock were to go down, you own the stock. If the stock were to go up, you have guaranteed profit and you could continue to sell more of these knowing that you're not going to end up buying the stock, right? So
0: is that what, did you do this? Um,
1: I haven't done that yet, but I think okay. the next straight up shares that I buy of Amazon will be done in that manner. I'm going to plan to buy the uh, sell puts and hopefully get the stock that way. And I have several other positions where I have done that. So let's uh, switch us so that we're in the right order for consistency. And welcome back, Chris. We were just giving a uh, little lesson on how you can actually buy stock uh, through selling put options. And it's a way to basically get stock that you want to buy anyway at a set price, today's price at a discount by getting the guaranteed premium and if the stock goes up, you don't get the stock, but you can keep selling more along the way.
2: Yeah, so that would work. We're uh, in a strategy where you had pretty good confidence that the stock was a stock that was going to do okay, you know, in the short term. But you didn't think that there was a likelihood that it was going to go up a tremendous amount, and right. that you're going to miss yeah. out on because you are capping, yeah, you're your, capping your
0: gains, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, it's a very specific situation. And so you really have to think like,
0: what is your strategy? Right. And so, and what, what do you think is going to happen with the stock? Like with Amazon? Uh, I think, you, think your it's strategy live-
1: is you're like a long-term holder. Yeah. You want to buy Amazon and just right. keep it for life. So had you done this, you you basically are guaranteeing yourself some upside and you could keep, keep doing this along the way up as it goes yeah. up and actually make more money than you would have in just buying the shares that you bought today. Yeah. But if it went down, you've you've been basically locked yourself in at a discount, discount to that strike price and the discount but, but is the look, premium. So let's
2: look for. at where that goes very wrong for Jordan. If, if on the day that we purchased our call options, Jordan would have sold those puts or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. He would have gotten screwed because he would have gotten his measly premium on the puts missed out on a massive upswing in Amazon stock. And now he'd be screwed. He's like, right? That would be a terrible thing for you if you did it that way back when we did it. So so I think the
0: the better thing to do when you're looking at something like Amazon, where you see that this is, and the reason that we're talking about Amazon right now is because we think there's a huge benefit to the current situation. And so we're looking for ways to capture that upside, right? And buying stock is one way to capture the upside. And then the other one is by buying call options.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so just I think that the, the 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 takeaway here is every fancy option strategy has its positives and negatives, right? The, the, none of these like so many option traders think that they. St- I can't even tell you how many times people come to me. I have this foolproof option strategy. It reduces <laughs> the risk down. I'm like,
1: I used to come to you with those strategies, and every single time you poked enough holes in them. I'm like, yeah, it's not even worth it.
2: I get it. For for any amount of risk that the strategy is reducing, it's also taking away from something else. You don't get to remove... Let me explain something. You don't get to remove risk in financial markets without a price. There's always a price to removing risk. Just like there's always a price to your leverage. You want more leverage? There's a price to it. You want to reduce your risk? There's a price to it. Don't let anyone else tell you that there's this magical option strategy that, that that just you know works for everything and it and it's just it doesn't exist um okay so by the way uh, uh, uh random question I, am i still shorting carvana yes i'm still shorting carvana it's a very small trade but i am still shorting uh carvana oh i emailed you a long time ago waiting for that book i am the worst mailer of books in the world i feel so guilty don't make me feel any more guilty i am we have probably
1: 3,000 people on the waiting list now.
2: <laughs> okay, here's the deal, Dave. I know what I'm going to do. I figured it out. Because you, know, you know when something gets, you get so overwhelmed with something, you just don't do it. I'm going to do like 20 a day. Like one, uh, 24 a day, like one box a day of books. See, I feel like it'd be better to just rip off the bandaid and do them all. Rip off the band. No, no. I'm, just, I, I, I have so much anxiety right now. I can't handle the thought of mailing out thousands of books. I'm going to do I one I say what a you day. need to
1: do. No, you need to, you need to get the labels printed first. And once you have the labels printed, your kids are stuck at home. They're not going to school they're finishing their online classes pretty early. Just put them to work, slapping labels on and sealing them up and, Putting them in a stack.
2: But to start, I'm just—I need to start. I'm going to start by just doing a few days in a row of like 24 a day. I got to go through the whole process. Stamps.com and the labels and all that stuff. Uh, so, sorry, I'm sorry. I will get them out. I promise. I'll get them out. Um,
1: and the place. Every time we we mention it, someone wants to know. DumbMoney.tv/book is where you go, and that's uh, and just fill out the thing. Let us know how you found us. That sort of thing. Because it's. Uh, we we love our fans. We love the people who watch us, and it's we we actually this live thing has it, it kind of was born out of you know not being able to hang out and go to lunch and film our episodes. I love doing this live stuff. We're we're doing it at least twice a week now, and it's the only time I get to see you guys.
2: And I just wish Jordan, you would send us some of your barbecue for these episodes. You should like have them favored here the night before <laughs> you can warm it up. Um, um, can I say, uh, this is a question that comes up all the time too, Rob at 1117. When is the right time to take profits? Do you let it ride or do the option price goes up too much and it's steep in the money? It gets harder to sell. I haven't been able to understand that Rob. I'm going to tell you a very simple answer and it has, it, it, it translates to options the same way it does with our equity. We initiate a position when we think we have information that the market doesn't have or hasn't appreciated um, on a particular stock. And we exit the position when we think that information is either no longer relevant or when that information has been disseminated to the investing public at large. That's it, doesn't matter if we made money, doesn't matter if we lost money, nothing else matters. In fact, I used to say that the best way for to trade stocks with our infoARP info strategy is to close your eyes and not even look at what the stock's at. If you exactly. could literally trade in and out without ever knowing if you made money or lost money, just trade on the information dissemination in its in within itself. That would be the best way to do this. No one has no one has the ability to actually do that. But it no, no.
1: But but once once you have, if you have some thesis, and once you see a news story come out tied to the stock that you're talking about with that information, you know that it's time because now. Everybody has that information, and whether the stock has made a move or not, you know that what you were thinking has now been priced into the stock
2: yeah or an analyst report or a company, a company announcement, or just people in web boards discussing that thing that you thought was so you know interesting that no one else appreciated as soon as that comes out to light, that's when you exit unless you have a new piece of information right that you you want to start trading it's that yeah. simple um. What else we got here? Yeah, I, couldn't,
1: I couldn't go that far back in my, I, I lost the uh, history of my, uh, of the chats here. That's so I can I'm I'm look a, at the more I'm, recent old ones.
2: Old comments, but go ahead, Dave. Um. Let's see. Question. They want, they want
1: Jordan to send some barbecue with each book. That would get kind of gross. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Might make the pages a little soggy. Oh, oh, Leon says max loss is what you use to buy. I don't know what Leon's saying, but let's just state for everyone. The most you'll lose in an option is the amount you pay for the option. It's not like shorting stock where if you buy a put, you can lose your money plus more. If you're bu- if you're going long an option, meaning you're buying a call or buying a put, the most you will lose is that money. Um, and yeah. you almost never exercise the option. That's when you let the option go all the way to the end. And then you yeah, actually- because-
1: because if you do exercise, you have lost some time premium, and you can always, up until the minute before it expires, there's there's going to be a slight advantage to selling the option instead of just being put the stock. If you if you're um, if you have a call calling the stock, if you're short, you're gonna you're gonna be better off selling the option instead of letting it actually expire because of that time value that's on top of the intrinsic value.
2: Yeah. And by the way, Will Holmes, 1125, says premiums move differently than stock price. Generally, premiums move directionally in the same way as stock price, but it's not perfectly correlated. Because remember, the premium, there's time premium there and there's intrinsic value. So the time premium is always eroding, right? It's, oh, you're losing money every day on that time premium. That's always going down. So if a stock just stays even, your, the option price that you have, by definition, would go down every day. Like well, the it was something the
0: really interesting when the uh, VIX was dropping from 80 down to 50 is that all of the option values were dropping also because uh, that change in VIX was happening kind of in real time. You normally don't see that
2: because the VIX is normally somewhat stable. Yeah, that's super, super rare, right. but you're totally right. Like Like if something happens that would impact the volatility of the market or your stock – that in itself would cause the option to go up or down because that, that that volatility premium could go way up or way down in your stock. But listen, those things generally, as a general rule, don't usually come into play. This is extraordinary times that we're seeing stuff like that. Oh, let's see. Do
1: you want to talk about leap options? So yeah, I mean, leap... It's basically just an option that has a way longer time horizon. So um, if you are taking this Amazon example, if you were to think that Amazon, you don't know if it's going to you're not really playing the information the way that we typically do. And this is why we don't generally uh, mess around with leaf options. But the thought process is if you think that you don't know if Amazon's going up or down this quarter, but you think Amazon is going up by January of this year or January of next year, uh, next year, you know what I'm saying um, you could buy and they're, they're expensive because the time horizon is so long, but you could buy a leap option to buy Amazon at a price that you think it's going to um, be, you know, it's, it's going to beat that price in the long term. Now, the one place I would use a leap option is if I'm selling a put, you get a huge premium for a stock that you're willing to buy at that price today that's uh, something that i was looking at when amazon was at at uh, what was it uh, 1600 1800 something like that if you had sold uh January 2022 puts i in January of 2022 I'd think that amazon is an1800 that's a great buying price and you could have you could have made like a million dollars uh just in the premium for selling that that far out.
2: Um, also, guys, uh, one thing where leap options are kind of cool is that if you buy a leap option that is more than a year away from today and you keep that option the entire period before you sell it, then you qualify for long-term capital gains, which could be a beneficial tax rate depending on what tax bracket you're in. Yeah. So, you know, I, we generally don't do because they're very expensive. You don't get a lot of leverage with leap options because there's so much time premium you have to pay, you usually only get like two or maybe three X leverage on on that. Uh, By the way, um, you know, you would have, Lars at 1129, you would have lost all your money with no shares to show for it. Most people cannot risk a $100,000 bet. Well, yes, options are not for everybody. They're not for everybody. And by the way, the amount that we invest, it's all relative, you don't have to invest 100000 You can invest $500. You can invest $50 in an option, right? You can invest yeah. $30 in an option. It, it, every
1: it, number every number that we say, you can just hit divided by 10 or 100 or 1,000 and do the exact same thing.
2: Yes. Because now, your
1: percentage gain is going to be the same.
2: Correct. Now, on a stock like Amazon, Amazon is really expensive. So you might not be able to ever afford buying an option that's in the money on Amazon. And that's okay. But the, we're, we're here to talk about the, the the process, the thought process we go through. And it is exactly the same whether you're investing $50 or half a million dollars in an option. It really, it's the same exact thing, guys. So don't get caught up in how much money we're investing. It's a completely irrelevant. When we started doing this, when we were 13, 14 trading, I might trade my older brother's account. I was literally trading options sometimes $20, $25. Like I was buying one, out of the money option, losing 90% of the time, but I was buying one option for 20. 20- <laughs> Remember, it, the, the, the chapter in my book is called Fake It Till You Make It because we we got addicted to options when we were kids because we can play with this big money for just a little bit of money. Now, most of the time, we've lost all our money, but if we were right, we could literally make 10, 20, 30, 40 times our money with an out of the money option. So that, that's kind of how we got started. But-
1: to go back to my example of what a leap option could do for you this this is uh today's as amazon uh keeps going up we're up four percent now and they're at twenty four hundred dollars let's say you wanted to buy Am- amazon's a great buy at twenty four hundred dollars jordan you bought some today at twenty twenty uh 50. if you go out to january 15th 2021 <laughs> and you were to sell these uh, puts for $284, so each one is giving you $28,000, each one you sell, Um, that is basically giving you a $284 discount off of this $2,400 price if the stock were to go below that number. So it's like, but it guarantees that you're going to make $28,000 today by selling it it's capping your gains at $28,000 because Amazon's going to go up. So you're just capping your gains at $28,000 for that one option. But if it were to go down, you've essentially, if, it, if for some reason, Amazon went to 2000, you basically are required to buy it at 2,400, but you got guaranteed $284. So you basically bought it at
2: 2,100. That's all yes. I'm going to say. Yes. Done. Um, Steve, uh, Stephen at 1130 says, if the stock went up $100 on 20 contracts, profit mm-hmm. would be $200,000. The op- That's correct. The option is to purchase 2,000 shares, right? Yes, that's correct. Because one option is 100 shares. So 20 options is 2,000 shares. Um, but you don't actually have to buy then sell to take profit. Correct, Stephen. Correct. Exactly what I've been saying. You don't have to buy any stock or sell any stock. You never have to do that. Because you can
1: simply sell your buyer option there's and a sell your option.
2: Yeah, there's a market for the options. Yes, yeah, there's a there's just like a stock. There's a they market trade, for the options. Yeah,
1: they trade just like an, a a stock. They have a buying price and a selling price at any time and uh, anytime before they they expire, they're just like a stock. And as soon as they expire, you can't buy them or sell them. And if you own a um option that is in the money at the time of buying or selling, you have automatically Executed that option, which means you do have to have enough money to
0: buy the underlying asset. So if it's out of, it's out of the money and it expires, it expires worthless.
2: Yes. Um Someone is asking Dave Evengi uh, Barsky, uh, Barsky at eleven thirty. I'm sorry. Yeah, I can't, I can't go.
1: I can't go before eleven forty-two. That's when I refreshed my page. Oh,
2: okay. So <laughs> uh, the question was, Chris, why aren't a hedge against m- month-end portfolio rebalancing? Which option? Oh, you- we
1: were talking about this yesterday.
2: Yes, yeah. So he said, which options would you buy? So what I would buy, which is not what you should buy, but what I would buy, um, so I have this thesis that we are the market is gonna rebalance their portfolios, all the big funds and the pension funds that have to be 70% equity, 30% bonds or cash. they've made a good fifteen percent this month in the market, 10-15% this month in the market. So on the equity side, and they're gonna be forced. To sell some of that equity at the end of the month, the same way they were forced to buy more equity last month, right? More stocks last month at the end of the month. And that traders, the same way last month, a lot of the hedge funds actually front run, front ran that trade into that last week of the month. I think they're gonna front run this same trade this month, maybe not as severely, um, but they're gonna do it in the opposite manner. So I think you're going to see potentially maybe a chance of selling into the end of the month that will get front run starting on Monday, maybe even starting tomorrow, Uh, maybe even starting today. It could have started today for all I know. So I would buy the options that actually expire. um, I know this sounds weird, but like next Friday, even though the month doesn't end until the following week, I'm thinking that people are going to start front running it a little bit earlier. So I'd probably get the the SPY uh, puts, that expire next Friday, the twenty fourth, or more conservatively, you get the ones that expire on the first of May, right? Um, and I would buy them pretty much uh, right in at the money or slightly in the money, like we've been talking about all episode. Um, I, maybe a couple percent in the money, Dave? Wouldn't you say one or two percent in the money? I would.
1: I would. Yeah, I'd probably be looking at that one to two percent. But I also like to have them that are on even numbers, just because those have more volume. In something like the spy, there's probably enough volume in any of them. But um, if you're so buying did, something,
2: if the spy is a 277, would you get the 280s? Yes. Puts the 280 puts. 280 so puts. maybe buy two. I would buy probably buy the 280 SPY puts that expire either next Friday or the following Friday. If I want, if I wanted to apply that strategy, that's what I would do. I actually have spy puts that expire uh in the third friday of may um so that's do you have the of, 280s I, I, what do you have the 280s chris uh i do i, I do i have the 280s i actually <laughs> had the 270s and i and i uh sold them and i got the 280s this week yep. and i doubled the amount i had so now i have 400 and that could change anytime. time yeah uh, it's my one little hedge on the portfolio uh what else we got here guys because any good questions
1: Can you explain uh, why people and what type of people sell options?
2: Yes. Yes, absolutely. There is a a type of person who sells options. They do it generally for one reason, income generation, cash flow.
1: Because you have a predictable amount of income, but you're capping any kind of extreme gains.
2: Yeah. So the person that sold me those Amazon options basically... Uh, for a $2,200 stock made $24, excuse me, $45 in three days. So if you think about that, $45 divided by $2,200 is 2%. Ready for this? So whoever sold me those Amazon calls that I bought yesterday, Dave? Yes. Made 2%. They, they basically own, let's say, those that, that, that Amazon. They just own the stock. They own it, right? Yeah. They made two percent for three days.
1: Their their gain at two percent.
2: Yeah, Gu- guaranteed, guaranteed. That's yes. just, that's th- that's and the stock. you
1: got everything after that two percent.
2: Yes, correct. And so when basically the stock made
1: a huge move, you came out way better than the guy who sold you those options. Now had Amazon stayed flat to going down, he would have made two percent. I assume it was a he. She would have made ten percent. <laughs> 2% regardless of how far it went down, so let's, and you would have lost all of your money.
2: But let's talk about the mindset. It's probably not someone that had Amazon. It's probably someone that said, hey, I think that Amazon has very little downside in the next three days, but I don't necessarily want to play the upside, but I would, I, I'm comfortable it, that it doesn't have a lot of downside. So I'm going to buy Amazon stock. I'm going to immediately sell an option right around the current price, which is where I bought it. And in the next three days, I'm going to make 2% on my money. So if they put, you know, for, it's it's incredible, to make 2% of your money in three days. They know that they're going to not make any upside on that beyond the 2%. Yeah. No matter how much. But they're locking
1: there, in a 2% in two days, which is a great return. You know, do you uh, know the risk? you think about if you think about what the risk is, you don't, you don't,
2: No, no. The risk is they're stuck with all the downside if something happens. So guaranteed 2% upside. But if Amazon goes down and I just lose my premium, they can lose all of it. They can lose all that money they spent on the Amazon stock. So if it goes down more than 2%, they're now losing money. Right? You
1: you were just describing what we, we would call a buy right, where you're buying the stock and writing an option on it. So they're not actually unlimited losses. They're just not getting any additional gains because they own the stock and it's going to be taken away from them, right?
2: No, no, it, it won't. No. So, so if they buy the stock and write calls on the stock, they then take all the losses on that stock. If that stock goes to zero, their entire investment in the stock, the $2,200- $2, Per share if they bought, it's gone. They lose all the money on the stock because they have to own the stock to write the option on the stock, right? So they have all the downside. That's true. But and none of the upside. But what they do have is a guaranteed 2% for over three days. That's 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 the premium they get for taking all that downside risk and giving away their upside, is they get a guaranteed two percent. So they're pretty confident that Amazon's not going to go down more than 2%. And they don't really care if it goes up more than that. They're like, I'm not thinking about how much it goes up. I just want my 2% guaranteed. That's the way they're thinking about it. Hey, there's a lot of people that do that. And there's you got to realize there are... A tremendous number of financial institutions and institutional money that must generate cash flow, and option writing is one of the primary ways in which they generate cash flow. A lot of times, what they will do is they will protect their downside to some extent by basically buying puts on Amazon that are like further down the chain, right? So they they made two percent selling me a call. But then they'll spend half of that money to buy puts to kind of cap how much money they would lose in a worst case scenario where Amazon started to go down. So instead of making 2% on their money over three days, they're only making 1% on their money over three days, which is still an incredible interest rate, 1% over three days. And they can lose money, but they're not going to lose their pants, okay, because they have puts that maybe cap their losses at like 4%. Let's say so. The most they're going to lose is four or five percent of their money, in a worst case. So that's kind of how they think about it. By the way, people that do that, it's a whole different mentality, Um, and it's something. It's kind. We call it. Well, I mean, you're just capping your gains, right? You're just capping your gains, so it's a different mentality. It's It's not. It's not the way I think.
1: It's an income investment, and yeah. So, um, can we buy options with the time frame or expiration of three months? Yes, generally most uh, most stocks that have options, uh, have options that expire every month. It's usually the third Friday of the month. Sometimes they're weekly options that expire every Friday, but most have a monthly option that is the third Friday of the month. And generally the leap options go out to January and often various other months uh, in the future, in future years. Uh, What kind of fees come with options? It looks like Chris left again. He's gone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Chris. All right. So what kind of fees come with options? Uh, if you're trading through an online broker who no longer has uh, fees for trading stocks, generally they uh, also don't have a fee for trading options, except sometimes they have a per contract fee. So check. It, it, it really depends on your broker. I know that uh, I'm with Schwab and they don't have a, 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 I believe they don't have a fee on the actual uh, trade. Used to be like a thirty dollars plus thirty cents per contract. I think it's just now the thirty cents per contract. Yeah, don't quote me on that, but that seems to be. Uh, I think that I think that that's the uh, price point. And Chris is back now.
2: Where do you I keep point? I had to approve the bank wire, the hundred thousand dollar bank wire I told you about for our super secretive startup investment that we're funding that we're not going to talk about on this channel. Nope, we'll, you got to we'll...
1: subscribe to our other channel, <laughs> Dumb Money. Uh, you Oh, we have too many things on the screen right now. How do I get rid of this one?
2: My, my bank, by the way, I know you're gonna rip me on this. Wells Fargo does not allow you to wire money.
1: <sighs> how are you with Wells Fargo 10, right now?
2: They have a ten thousand dollars cap, right, on what you can wire through your laptop, and so otherwise you got to go into the bank in person. I literally like went nuts. I was like, you know how neurotic I am. I'm not leaving my house. I don't want this virus. I'm not going walking into the branch. We got to figure out a workaround. So now they have this whole system for me where they're getting approval from corporate every time. I know how many bank wires I do twice a week, right? Two, three times a week.
1: I just don't understand why you're even like. Just go on Google and say Wells Fargo fraud. You really want to be with that bank? And also, how how did your um, how did your payment pay what is it payroll protection plan loan go? Uh, trying to process it through Wells Fargo. You talked to the branch about that, right?
2: Oh, no, no, that was for one of my portfolio companies. Yeah, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare for them. We, we, we have a nice, uh,
1: private we have a small local bank local that, bank. One that we, we both used. Um,
2: by the way, we got our money just in time, Dave. They cut off. The, it's outright. Yeah, it's they're out of they're money. Right. We got our they're money. Right out. We so, got
1: ours, um, ours wired yesterday and we cut checks that are being delivered to our employees. Today's Thursday, they're, they're getting them tomorrow. The, the yes. first round of checks for we eight are, weeks.
2: We're paying 70 employees, most of them, to sit at home, uh, exactly what they made waiting tables with their tips and everything. Like what they're yep. they're getting. Basically, we average for those of you all that want to know how this works. We have a restaurant, 70 employees. We basically take the average of how much money they've made, you know, over the past year, salary and, with, and
1: tips and over the tips. past year,
2: and yes. we're just writing them a check for that every payroll. So they're getting full compensation it's coming from the government the government gives us the money we give them the money right and then it's really weird but that that's what we're doing and a lot of them are telling us uh, no thanks i'd rather have my unemployment which is actually even more money some of these guys are making yeah. 1100 or more dollars a week on unemployment between the fed money and and the state money and that which is so much more money than they ever made as a waiter working two days a week right i mean mm-hmm. it's insane
1: yeah, we, we had the same. So you have seventy people. We only have eight people that uh, were on this plan, and of those, two of them uh, chose not to take the payroll because uh, they were going to make because they they were more part time. They they didn't work as often, and so they're um, they're going to make more in unemployment. But I think, I mean, who knows how long this eight week period is? You know how how far that will go. I don't think that your business or my business will be open by the. Uh, eight weeks, but hopefully it gets extended. And we can keep paying our people.
2: Yeah. And and by the way, here, a little lesson learned here, Dave's bar uh, that he owns with our friend Lynn and I own this restaurant with Lynn, his bar makes probably more money than our 70 employee company makes. So lesson is if you're going to open a bar, do one that doesn't have food. Okay. We have,
1: we have a whole video on that. Um, yeah. If you go to the original Dumb Money Channel youtube.com slash Dumb Money, look for the video called "Worst Investment Ever." It's all about the restaurant and bar business and uh, another local restaurant bar that we invested in. That I, I don't even know how that's doing. Oh, this we they got been really, doing
2: terrible, Dave. I mean, I'm so worried about that. It's a huge operation. Budget. I'm so worried about that's the worst investment ever right this second. Um, And by the way, that is one of the coolest episodes ever. If you guys haven't seen that, you mutt is so fun. We've gotten so many compliments on that episode. Uh, Watch it now more than ever. You want to watch that episode. It's it's a good one. It's a good one. And like that, like that episode, but also please like this channel right now. Just give us a thumbs up. The YouTube algorithm is never going to show our videos to anyone if we don't get a lot of likes. So I really appreciate it. I made that.
1: I made that graphic.
2: Okay. Oh, nice <laughs> <laughs> <It's animated. laughs> I just leave that
1: on the screen the whole time
2: <laughs> Oh boy um, hey by the way I I, I don't want to get like too into all of these trades that we're doing right now on this episode because I want to save it for Monday because Monday's episode guys is all about um, what people are spending their stimulus checks and their unemployment checks. And all, everybody is like, they're like a bunch of people are hurting right now, but there's actually a lot of people that are like cash flush because they're not spending any money and they're yeah, their making expenses more have money.
1: Down and and they're getting, yeah, they're getting continuation of paycheck or unemployment that might be more than they were making before and a stimulus check. And it, it, this this new stimulus package that they're working on looks like they might give $2,000 per person per week or is that right? Per month. I, I don't remember. But there's that a means- new a new stimulus bill that was just introduced in the House yesterday, I believe, that is a ongoing, I think it's $2,000 per month per person, and they're trying to find ways to include students who were excluded before, college students who were being uh, claimed as dependents on their parents, or uh, older parents who are being claimed as dependents by their adult uh, children. Um, it's it, it could be fascinating if the whole economy is starting to be based on everyone getting this uh, universal income.
2: Well, and we've been we've been doing a lot of work, doing a lot of research, doing some, have some really cool trades that we are contemplating heavily right this second that we'll probably pull the trigger on over the next few days. And we're going to talk about on Monday's show. So if you haven't subscribed, subscribe and hit that bell to make sure that you get notified of Monday's episode. It's 11 a.m. Central, 12... 12 PM Eastern, right? Is when it comes on. It's going to be a really fun one. You definitely don't want to miss on Monday. Yeah. Uh, talking uh, about Ford, Ford, all right Is one of the ones we're going to talk about. On oh,
1: we're going to talk about that, we, and you know, we're going to be talking about Amazon. And uh, Brian Cruz lets us know that Amazon physical store visits were up, even with the stay-at-home orders.
2: Physical that, store? That's a what do you mean, like Whole Foods or that five, that four-star store in Manhattan? What are you talking about?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Brian, let let us know what you're you're uh referring to there. Evil Genius has a question for Jordan because you are the more conservative investor among our group. Weigh in on when you use options.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not as heavy of an option trader as uh Chris or Dave. When I'll tend to use it is when I'm completely invested, don't have too much cash, and I just want to you know, we'll get some idea about something like a chicken restaurant or something and uh uh <laughs> I want I want a chance of that upside, so I will. Uh, and you know. and actually,
1: that so as a really, conservative and, and us investor, us too, right? Chris so. and I, there's this certain chicken restaurant, the the uh, the Popeyes trade, also on Dumb Money original channel. You should go watch the uh, yep. worst. That, that's our other terrible <laughs> investment where Chris and I lost what a million dollars or something, and Jordan <laughs> Jordan using options had all of the upside. He had amplified his upside, but limited his downside to losing all of his money in the options. But that downside was way, way less than the $300,000 we lost in a single day. I think.
2: Jordan, how much money did the million dollars that we lost me and Dave? Oh, I lost how much 10 money grand. did you lose in that I whole lost, thing?
1: I lost $10,000. $10, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well oh, yeah. it pays to be conservative sometimes but uh if you look at what chris has done making 2.5 million dollars since monday sometimes you lose out. <laughs> you're you're a little conservative and and just bought your amazon at its all-time high
2: we'll see we'll see i yeah. think you are going to find that trade anyway <laughs> hey by the way uh, you know jordan you know and I, I i've had other people send me the same question this week they're like is it too high now that I don't already own stuff? And I'm like, listen, the only thing I'll say about that is I don't believe there's any such thing as a hold. So I told Jordan this morning, I'm like, well, you think you just bought Amazon's all-time high, but so did I because I am rebuying all my stocks every minute of the trading day. Every minute that not, I don't sell a stock- okay, Yeah, I'm you re-
1: have to explain that. Because, yeah, so, because you're not rebuying, you're not buying you know, another $5 million worth of Amazon every no, day. no, no, no. <laughs> By not selling it, you're mentally making the decision that you want to continue to own it.
2: At t- at that current price. So right yes. this second, I am making the mental decision to repurchase everything in my portfolio every second of the day based on its current stock price. So if someone's like, well, it's okay for you to own it because you bought it way cheaper, but I don't want to start buying it here. I'm like, well, I just bought it again a second ago because if I didn't like it at the price right now, I'd be selling it, right? Yeah, so it- yeah. It's it's the number one mental issue that people have investing is they let their past gains or losses impact their current decision making and that is completely flawed way of thinking. It's something that I learned as a kid. It's so hard to stop thinking like that, and especially when you see, watch CNBC and they're like, "Well, you know, I wouldn't recommend this for new owners, but if you already have it, it's a hold. I want to put my." through the screen every time I hear that. These idiots saying stuff like that, I mean, it just makes no, there's only it one makes zero time, sense. There's only it's one okay. time that makes sense. When does and, it make and
1: sense? Literally, when they had that show, I don't know if it's even on CNBC anymore, but that buy, sell, or hold show makes that, that was an infuriating thing. And this is the number one thing about getting your head around investing. It is, it is either buy or sell. There is no such thing as holding. If you're holding a stock, you are doing the exact same thing as buying it that that very moment at that very price. Holding doesn't make sense. You're just making the active decision to continue to buy it.
0: Well, the only reason to hold, right, would be that you've got long-term, or you've got gains in that that you don't want to pay taxes on.
2: Yeah, if you could make a conscious decision that you're like, well, I want to sell it, but I don't think it's, I only only think it's going to go down 5%, and I would make more money holding it to get that long-term capital gains in a month, because I'm going to make 12% of the difference in taxes. So is it going to drop that difference
0: yeah. in the next month or whatever then maybe that that's like yeah
2: only time and it so since we sense. yeah
0: and since we trade mostly in um you know just standard accounts that don't have any sort of uh, tax shelter that um you've got to think about those things
2: yeah yeah so that, that's it that's the only huh. time a hold makes sense but by the way that's not why people use the term hold that's not why analysts use it that's not why right. we, they they use yeah. it because they're idiots that's why they use it. They use it because they're idiots. And like, you know, I wrote an art back in like nineteen. I, th- I think that
1: in itself becomes a clip for uh, its own video. Analysts are idiots.
2: So, so I wrote an article in like nineteen ninety seven or eight or nine. I don't know. And I sent it to like. Mo- Remember when Motley Fool first came out in the nineties? I yeah. sent it to them, and it was the it was this article. It, it was like it was like by. Buy or sell, never hold. Like there's no thing as hold, and I, mm. and I just ripped the industry for it. And they reject the, the CEO, I think at the time, of my rejected the article, and I got into a fight with them over it because they wanted me to start writing for them because they saw the stuff that I was doing. I was like, I will not only not write for you, I will never, ever, ever pull this website up again if you don't publish it. And they wouldn't publish it. And it's just like I don't understand why the industry is so set on this old conventional like mentality of this verbiage that just doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. So Steven's asking, Dave, your Amazon options would include earnings, right? One day after earnings, is, is, is one day after earnings enough time to see the stock price rise due to good earnings? I bought them one day, yes, one day after, and it does include the earnings announcement and the following day. And generally, if there's crazy good news, the stock is going to react that next day at open. Uh, and if there's crazy bad news, the stock is going to react and gap way down when it opens. <clears throat> so it is enough time. And I bought those, giving myself the opportunity to decide the day before, hey, is this risen as much as I thought it would? Um, I, I will be deep in the money by then. What I'll probably do is roll those into a, a, a higher strike price, which would be a lower uh, premium. And buy them with that one remaining day, same month, so that the next day for a reduced risk, that lower premium, I'll have uh, leverage over the same number of shares for that one day up or down, but with a reducing my downside risk.
2: Yeah. By the way, that's me. And we do that all the time. We're constantly when we're doing well, we're rolling our options up to different strike prices, because if an option that we bought for forty dollars is now worth two hundred and fifty dollars, which it is, you know, it might not be if Amazon's coming down right now, but it, it is. So me and Dave, right before the show, we were literally talking about, gosh, we literally just bought this yesterday and it's already time to roll the option strike price. We're yeah. going to sell that for 250 take that money off the table and repurchase another option for $50 so that if Amazon really gets hit here, the most we're going to lose is 50 now per share. Um, and all that other money that we made on Amazon is in our pockets. It's our money. It's not going anywhere, right? Like that, and we've been doing that for the past five, six weeks, mostly on the way down. Now we're starting to do it on the way up. When we purchase options, we're just going to roll them and roll them and roll them, and it limits our risk.
1: This is great. Guy is learning through uh, our osmosis. That's 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 what this is all about. Just leave us on, and you'll you'll pick up some ideas, or thoughts, and and it's great. Um, this is a unique point in time for uh, inventiveness. I use this information for the basis of my thoughts, uh, how and where to invest. I have learned so much from you You guys are awesome. Thanks so much for watching. We really appreciate these kind of comments. Um, are Uh, you planning on going over spreads or is that out of topic? It's, it's really out of topic.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, fine. I'm going to get a new MacBook pro. Okay. Fine. At 1230, (laughs) she said the screens look like 1080p, 480p, 1080p. And I Fine. We're
1: actually only streaming at 7:20, but Chris is streaming at like um, standard definition.
2: Yeah,
1: what is VGA? I think he's like (laughs) plugged in through an old uh,
2: thing. And I have such a nice setup, uh, and and it just I try so hard, and you know uh, I'm gonna buy. it. I'll buy it today. Done. I'll I'll get it today. Um, Dave, I'm gonna send you a a picture of my setup today.
1: Okay, yeah, I want to see that. Merv is uh, correcting me, so if you heard me say something incorrect, um, I apologize. Don't forget that each contract controls 100 shares, so the six thousand dollar discount would apply to the 2.4 million, not the strike price. Yes, that that makes uh, sense. If you, in context, if you remember that, that's that's these these comments are from a while ago. Let me scroll down to some newer ones. Well, I'm, I'm looking. i trying, at trying to get Hol- all the good ones.
2: Will Holmes at 12:34 says, "Question: If I buy one contract of CCL Carnival Cruise," Uh, 1250 strike price he's not telling me if it's a call or put by the way uh, but okay so if i buy one contract of ccl 12 at the 12 dollar and fifty cent strike at five dollar and forty cents expiring january of
1: 2022
2: whoa Ooh. uh or and, maybe uh,
1: january 22nd but probably 2020
2: and, 2020 and and carnival goes to 15 the most I'll um, make. Well, okay. No, no, no. If so, if you buy the 12 dollars fifty cents strike, and Carnival goes to fifteen, your option is only going to be worth two dollars and fifty cents, which is less than half of what you're paying for it. So here's a here's a really good exercise we do all the time, guys. If you're paying five dollars and forty cents for a, an option with an for the strike price of twelve dollars and fifty cents, this is a call. I'm, I'm seeing it's a call, then. You need your break even. Okay, so Will, you need Carnival to go up to $17.90 to add the strike price plus the premium at $17.90. That's your break even. It has to hit that price by the January of 2022 for you to break even. Everything above $17.90, you'll start making money. Now that said, if it hits that price or anything close to it before January 2022, you'll still have a lot of time premium left, and you don't need it to go that high. If it even goes up one dollar today, you'll make money. Just going up one dollar, you make money today. But if you're really going to wait this out till January 2022, you need to hit seventeen dollars and ninety cents just to break even. Okay, guys, that's part of the exercise you have to go through when you price these options out.
1: Yeah. Hey, look who's on our uh, buddy Len. He's saying that, uh, Jordan, your head is extremely yellow. I think that's your head. Yeah,
2: I must, must have been looking down. <laughs> I don't see, Lynn. Am I behind on comment? I don't yeah, know. You're, you're... Uh, 1234. Oh, I don't see um, on my on the head. Um, hey, Lynn,
1: if you, want, if you want to join and talk about uh, anything, just let me know. We'll uh, we'll patch you in. <laughs> he's a um, he's partner in the bar and the restaurant that we always talk about.
2: Yes, yes. And, and Lynn got yeah. a little... A little, you know, he's kind of like us. I mean, he, he's he's thinking this through, and he got a little nervous and sold out a lot of his stuff. And he did buy Amazon and Apple, which is good. And he has Zoom. Zoom. And what else does he have? Uh, Zoom is, is the only one, other one I know. Oh, you know what Lynn did? I was talking to him for a couple hours. And he got all excited about Ford and pulled the trigger on Ford. He's in hmm. Ford now. But, uh <laughs> Um, Ouch. but he, but he really is not heavily in the market. So he feels kind of bad, like he's missing out the last few days. And that's the problem here is that you don't want to overthink this market too much. You remember at the end of the day, if you go back a couple episodes, the roaring 2020s is coming next year, right? Dave, Jordan, yes, and you is. don't want right. to completely miss out on that. <laughs> so miss out. you don't want to like be too light, right? <laughs> in This market, uh, who are the losers in options? Sounds like there's more than one. That's WinO who just came in at twelve thirty eight. Well, the loser, the loser. It just depends on what happens. So if you're making money on an option, someone else is losing money. On the, the guy that wrote it to you is losing money. It's it's really that simple. Um, if you lose money on the option, the guy that wrote the option is making money. It's just yeah. it's just yeah. like buying and selling stock, guys. It's no different. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And when you write an option, you're you're given money. At the time you sell that option, writing an option and selling that writing is a synonym for selling, um, you, you get that premium up front, but you have the risk of losing if the stock doesn't go in the right direction for you.
2: Hey, hey guys, can I talk? I do want to talk about one trade that I, I made already and I'm going to continue to make. I'm really not feeling comfortable with my Google or my Facebook. I know I've talked about this. Yeah. I have sold <laughs> most of my Google and most of my Facebook. Over the past couple weeks. And I'm considering completely getting rid of all of it. Like right now, like when we get done with the show, I'm thinking I might just sell off. And here's why I just don't like the, the ad picture here. Like I I think the ad business is the one business that is just in just as bad shape as everything else, like restaurants and travel almost. And nobody appreciates that. And I think, I think the market is really overlooking how bad this is going to get for Google and Facebook. And unlike a lot of these other companies that are mean Jordan, remember we were talking about this, these companies that pause campaign, they will pause your contract. Yep. The reason why Yelp is pausing your contract and giving you free stuff is because when things get better, they just want to unpause it and have all their clients back. Google, I don't think can do that because they're not going to give out free advertising. So, there are people that are massively cutting their ad budgets right now on Google and Facebook. Yeah, and, and you, they're you going saw to that have
1: to uh, Barry Diller article and in the interview on CNBC where he was super negative on advertising and a lot of other industries.
2: Expedia, what spends 5 billion a year in advertising and they're one of Google's number 1 advertisers <clears> and they're cutting their advertising from 5 billion to under one billion this year. I mean, guys, that's an eighty percent cut. Now, granted, they're a, a, a tr- hospitality, you know, they're a travel related co- sector company, which is getting hurt the worst. But no restaurants are advertising, no travels advertising, right? I mean, these are some of the biggest sectors for advertising. I mean, I on in small business, right, is, is some of the biggest sectors for advertising on Google. I really just don't love them here, like fifteen percent under their all time highs, wherever they're at yeah. right now.
1: Absolutely. Here, here's a question related. Doesn't uh, ads taking a hits uh, also screw Roku, the future of ad revenue? Roku is in a different situation though, because they are a streaming platform. They're getting revenue from all of the services that are offered on there. I love Roku as a stock and actually as a product. I'm watching uh, CNBC right on the screen over here <laughs> on Roku right now, because what? I don't have a, I don't have a direct TV outlet in my attic.
2: But guys, who are Roku? Who we think, and they're very secretive about their ad, ad, ad split. But who do we believe is Roku's biggest advertising clients right now? Disney, Apple, uh, uh, Netflix, Netflix, right, and, and uh, HBO, yeah. right. All these like, like
1: the people who are trying to push their content. What, why else would you advertise on Roku other than to hey, come to our channel and and watch our stuff?
2: Yeah, so they do have traditional advertising as well on the Roku channel in Roku. But yeah, I like, think like,
1: like TV commercials running through their um, through like cable ad buy. Yeah, that,
2: that, that, yeah. But I mean, I think, and again, I think a huge part of their growth and advertising base right now is are just these these content providers that are spending crazy money competing with each other, and that's probably part of the reason why Disney got fifty million subscribers. They're you know they're advertising on the few. There's only a few places they can advertise where, where someone's going to see their show. And Roku is like what a third of the market, a quarter of the market, right, Jordan? When didn't you do that work once? Like, like Apple Man, TV. I, forgo- I, I know I forgot the numbers, but
1: they were I forget the number. Them. But but I think that the um, that that subscription revenue from the services was some. It's it's north of fifty percent, maybe seventy five percent of the revenue comes from that, and so, the rest is the, the smallest piece is like the set top box expense and the advertising is another smaller sliver. We'll, when we talk about Roku. Uh, sometime I'm sure we'll be talking about it again. We'll have better information for you.
2: Oh hey, Brian Cruz at 12:42. I, I you know I just can't talk about this enough. Uh, your cal- with your calculations um, on restaurant. Uh, so you know with your calculations that some restaurants may go out of business July or August. I'm surprised they haven't dipped more recently. When do you plan on selling your puts? Um, so I actually increased my puts on Dave and Buster's this week. Uh, not my puts. Excuse me, my short position on Dave and Buster's. I know it's risky because there, you never know when there's a private equity shop that's going to come in here and be like, "We don't care, we're taking it." You know, they're, they, 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 they're raising 50 million bucks uh, by selling stock at the current price this week. I don't know if that deal got done or not, um, but I don't care. I don't care because I am not shorting restaurant stocks like Dave and Buster's because I think they're going to go out of business in the next 60 days. I'm shorting them for what I'm pretty sure is going to happen the following 120 days. So for me it's about June, July, August and September. That's when I think the restaurants are going to really be hurting when they're open and the no. government money has run out. And now you got it guys, restaurants cannot operate more than 20% down for more than a couple months. So they don't yeah, need they're to on be on such
1: thin margins to begin with that they will even in normal times if you saw your uh your restaurant lost 20% of its traffic or sales you're going to really struggle and probably not be able to operate for more than
0: 3 or 4 oh, months
2: it was insane yeah like once you get below like 25% off your business like 30% you're in deep trouble and don't you wouldn't you have to in our scenario modeling we're kind of thinking that restaurants for that 120 day period after the federal money runs out, we think their business is likely to be down somewhere between 25 and 60%, right? And so that puts them all in the red zone. And one of a few things is going to happen the government's going to step up and give them even more money. Uh, they're going to be able to raise private debt, uh, or they're done. I mean, I don't know who else to say it. They're done. And so, yeah. I don't have like super high conviction, but I kind of have what's called medium conviction to medium high that, that they're going a lot of them are going to be in trouble. And I don't think the market's appreciating how bad it is. As a restaurant owner, I see this world clearly. Okay. And so I'm not guessing. I mean, very few people on Wall Street truly understand what it's like to be a restaurant operator. They don't realize how horrific it is to do business at 25% off your, your revenue level. I, it's just not possible. You can't, it's not like, Oh, it's not like a business where you're like, we'll just take, do less staff. You still need your kitchen. You still need your management. And guess what? Your staff, your waiters cost you almost nothing. Cause they're like, you pay them minimum wage. They make their money off. Yeah, of tips. It's, all, it's all tips. So, so it's, that's not where your money goes. Your money goes into like paying for, we pay $30,000 a year at our restaurant. For like uniform, like get our towels washed and stuff. Like it's just there's so many expenses that once you decide to open up, you kind of can't just cut it, right? Yeah, it's I mean like, you're
1: not having to do your towel laundry right now, but you're paying a lot in rent for that uh, that giant facility that you have.
2: But right? Dave, once the restaurants open, they do have to pay for all of that stuff yes. again, right? Yeah. And so I just don't know, and that's why I still kind of hate Yelp because. I feel like they might be open, but they might just like we're not doing Yelp for a while. Like we have enough of our own customers. We don't need to like do advertising right now when we're losing money every month. because uh, people kind of know who we are. You know, I, I just I feel like that's gonna suffer. Cisco, I think, is gonna continue to be down significantly. Cisco rest uh Cisco food, foods. Right? Yeah. So I'm still short Cisco. I'm really short Dave & Buster's only because I think Dave & Buster's is like one of the most at-risk restaurant chains. I'm looking at some others, and we'll talk about that on Monday. But – yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. By the way, if I'm there wrong, there is an
1: argument to be made for some of uh, not Dave and Buster's because it's all about getting in there and you know playing skee ball, and you don't want to touch things in a restaurant these days. No but finger there foods,
2: is... Dave. It's finger kids with finger foods and touching and like yeah. Oh.
1: And so that that I'm I'm out. But there is an argument to be made that the chain restaurants will be able to weather the storm better than small, independent, local restaurants. on on cash reserves and or ability to borrow money at scale. Um, so some of the chain restaurants may thrive or survive but Dave, over time, but it's, not, it's still not a sector that I would want to be in.
2: Wait, let me throw a contrarian argument there. Don't you think that there's going to be a lot more community support for independent local restaurants over the chains though?
1: No, I absolutely agree which is why uh, Voltage LP saying that I watch Kramer. Yeah, sometimes I do tune into Kramer. (laughs) I disagree with most of what he says. Uh, But I, and I actually haven't watched him for 10 years. And so it's kind of refreshing to see faces you recognize on CNBC 10 years later after having just literally not watched it at all. Now I'm just, I watch the market way more closely now than I have uh, in the past 10 years. And yes, some of those personalities are, are, uh, are still there, it's amazing.
2: Um, Mark Ecker, 1247. Is Ford a goodbye right now before production starts up? We're not gonna talk about Ford because once we start talking about Ford, we're gonna really talk about Ford, okay? I was up, guys, till 3 a.m. last night, just deep in Ford research, okay? And I want to talk about it on Monday. I'm still I'm still thinking about it, I'm still processing. Um, but I, that that is not a five-minute talk. We're gonna spend yeah. half an hour probably talking. Deep about Ford on Monday because I just have a lot to <laughs> talk about. So we, um, we have
1: that uh, that episode is scheduled and ready to go. So go hit the set reminder to remind yourself or put it on your calendar that we will be on noon Eastern, eleven Central,
2: oh. nine
1: Pacific. Oh, so guys, we have
2: the Jarrett Spencer right before that twelve forty seven Disney. We got to talk about this though right now, real quick, okay? Because like this, yes. this is one. It's my forever stock, Disney. Right, we did a forever stock episode, and I will, couldn't choose Amazon, so I chose Disney. Man, I love Disney so much. It'd be hard to find someone that loves that stock more than me. And guess what I did this week? I, I sold, sold half of my Disney this week. I sold half. I, yeah. I, I sold half of.
0: Yeah, I've got a little bit, and I was actually really looking to add to some after the initial drop. But then I started to think about it. In parks, are people going to be going to parks? Are people going to be going on the cruise ships? Are people? you know, the sports is down. Um, it's, it's a big problem for Disney.
1: I sold all of my Disney yesterday. (laughs) Yes. Because you know, if you're, there's no such thing as holding, you're making the decision that you want to buy and own Disney, but just less of it than you had before. So I got rid of it all.
2: Yeah. and, And that's where like, I can't, you know, it's so crazy. I literally, I can't, I can't sell it all. I just, it's so irrational. It's so irrational. Um, but I just I can't sell it all because I'm so attached to that company. But man, I think Jordan, you're talking about 40% of their, their parks is 40% of the company, zero, zero. I know. I know. And not only that, ESPN is in major, major potential trouble right now, major issues yeah. uh, with their cable, their advertising. Oh, it's terrific. Right. Disney Plus. They're not really making any money there at all. It's irrelevant, really, right now.
0: Right. Well, um, and they took on huge debt to be able to um, finance Disney Plus and to build new cruise ships.
2: Right. And they're so they're left. They're, they're really st- levered right now. But that's okay because it's Disney, yeah. and right. Disney will be able to lever up as much as they want. And if they want more, they can get more. So I'm not worried about Disney going bankrupt. But I am worried about when, like, the impact of their earnings being potentially way worse. The mark see the market, I think, loves Disney like I love Disney and they can't cut through the fog. They've it's already down right. 30%, whatever it is, right? And 30 And like, are they gonna really cut it in half? Like, and so I, I'm not saying it's gonna get cut in half. I'm not saying it's going to 70 or anything, yeah. right? But I would love for Disney to drop 20 bucks and to buy in like in the 80s, right? Like I would love yeah. to like.
0: Right. If you could rewind time and pick it up when it hit its lowest at
1: 86, maybe I think that's it's the not Then why don't you sell some 80 puts? Oh, my God. Take some guaranteed yeah. money and then also <laughs> be able to buy it at 80 if it ever goes to that. Right. You know, you if know why? Few, you know, you've just made profit without yeah. any risk. And if it goes to 80, you bought it at 80. If it, if it goes to 60, you still own some at 80.
2: You know yeah. what, Dave? If there was ever a time for me to sell puts, this would be it. This yeah. would be it. And I'm not saying I'm going to do it, but I'll consider it. I'll look into it after the show today because if there's ever a time to do it, this would be it for me.
1: I can it. tell you that I, I own some Roku stock, but I would like to own more, but I don't really need it. So I sold some Roku puts for guaranteed guaranteed profits and to own it at a price that I'd be completely comfortable owning it. I also have sold puts in, oh, Crown Castle, that, uh, that REIT for um for uh yeah. cell towers I own 500 shares I'd own 500 more if it went down to $150 again it's at 162 now but if it went down to 140 I I think 150 is a good price for that REIT so I would buy I would double down and buy more that so but I have guaranteed profit if it stays up
2: yeah, and by yeah. the way, let's remind everyone Chris Erickson says 1252, be careful what's selling to open call. Like yeah, you, we're only talking about for the most part buying going long calls and puts. Like yeah. when once you start writing options guys, that stuff is so risky. It is likely not something that anybody should be doing unless I you're don't more do sophisticated. It. I, I'm uncomfortable
0: with it, and I, I understand it really well.
2: Yeah, and, and even, and listen, any option at all. the Options are not something you just kind of hop in. and, and You need to spend some time. Do some paper trading. Learn it. Learn yeah. it before you do it. And speak to your financial advisor if you need to to make sure that your risk tolerance is appropriate for options because, listen, again, don't mimic what we're doing. We're at a very different risk tolerance than, than, than a lot of people out there.
1: I think that paper trading advice is great because you can go in, look at the bid, see what you would have been able to buy that for, and then wait a few days, go look at it and see what you would be able to sell it for. And just like, see where you won, see where you lost and start to learn. Oh, I would have lost all my money. Had I done that, I would have doubled my money. Had I done that. And it's really a good way to, to kind of tiptoe into options for the first time. When you're talking about, uh, it looks like we had some comments of other uh, restaurant stocks to consider Chewy's, is a um, publicly yeah. traded. It's a smaller chain, but I f- think feels more local. You know, you know what?
2: You know what? Though, man, it's, it's one of the only com- only meals that, besides my own restaurant, we order in is Chewy's because everyone's loving Mexican right now. Because like, you can't yeah. make me- Mexican food, Very you can't food. really make it home. So a lot of like in our neighborhood in Dallas, Texas, the Mexican restaurants are like the only restaurants. That or you can't even get delivery windows because they are going nonstop. Like uh, and they and also
0: drive. deliver margaritas, which is a pretty that's a pretty big. Uh, Go to Chelsea Corner, <laughs> only, only in
1: Texas. Only in Texas. So, um, interestingly, I had a uh, Chewie's delivered through DoorDash yesterday or the day before, and it said it was like a twenty-three minute turnaround. Uh, then I kept getting updates. They were so back, backed up, it took an hour for it to get here. It still got. They still didn't cook it. And it, it got to my house within 10 minutes of it uh, being made. So the delivery system was working, but they, their orders were completely backlogged.
2: Yeah. So if I'm going to short a restaurant, I'm going to short like, you know, uh, business lunch places, right? Like, like steak places yeah. and, and sit down, any oh, sit down restaurant that's not Mexican, basically.
1: Look, this this is one to show. I don't even know if Chuck E. Cheese's is a public company, but if public? it is.
2: Crockett, is that public? <laughs>
1: that's Michael Crockett. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but yes. Uh, oh, and this is interesting. Uh, I tried to short play yesterday, but Schwab told me they don't have enough shares to loan. That—that's. Oh, are they, are they 100%? Sh- Who? But here's Ooh. here's the thing. Um, I, I've also gotten that warning even trying to short the spy through Schwab. They basically charge you a fee to uh, short a hard to borrow stock. Mm. So yeah. I, maybe they maybe they're not letting you short uh, Dave and Buster's anymore. That's interesting.
2: Um, is it, I didn't Chuck E. Cheese. Do you want to, do,
1: do you want to um, quickly go over the difference between what a put is and what a short is? Or I can, while you're looking at Chuck E. Cheese, I
0: put it basically. What it is. It's why would you choose one over the other? Right. And yeah, uh, yeah.
2: well, a short, uh, the, the biggest reason why people will choose a put over a short is a short has unlimited loss potential. Yes,
1: it the could go to zero and you could lose all of your money.
2: No, with no, no, op- if it goes up. No, I'm saying it has, no, oh, if yeah, you're yeah. it, it, oh, it could go up. It, it technically, it could go up infinitely. And by the way, it's not a theoretical. It actually has happened a couple times. Once with with uh, Volkswagen, I think it was a few years ago. Was it Volkswagen or Porsche that it went up like 30X? It was so insane. It was a short squeeze that mm-hmm. people kept buying it and there was no way to cover it's very rare, but there is a theoretical risk in a sort of company that people can squeeze you and you can't catch up with it. You when you go to buy your shares back, they'll make if it's not very liquid, they will force you to pay the most insane amount for those shares. And yeah. meanwhile, you're yeah. making a thousand dollar investment you just lost a hundred grand on, right? <laughs> because yeah. we-
1: because because when you're short a stock you um, have to cover that stock and there is a threshold that they will allow you to go and it once you're once you're it's basically yeah there's securities you're trading on margin. Well, yeah there's
0: securities laws around this right it's one yeah. and a half x right of the uh, of well, the it, it varies
1: by stock so some stocks are, are more some some are less but yeah. there is a, definitely a threshold that you're required to buy that back uh, yeah. based on the equity in your account um, and so, yes, you, that's that's what a short squeeze is. And that's why yeah. a put option is less risky, because even though you can lose the entire tire, 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 tire to have an unlimited loss, you're just going to lose whatever you invested.
2: Yes. And by the way, on, um, you know, stocks on a, a put option gets you leverage too so the short the most money you'll ever make on a short is the amount of money you invest if it goes to zero if you invest a thousand dollars on a co- company that's trading at eight bucks and it goes to zero you made a thousand dollars but you can buy puts and potentially make five or ten or 20x leverage so on a thousand dollar put investment you might make ten thousand dollars theoretically right so that those are the primary differences and why you'd want to look at one over the other
1: and it looks like we're coming up on the two hour mark. Thank you guys so much for staying with us the whole time. Uh, we have, we've had so many viewers, so many comments, but I think we need to cut this one. And we will, um, we we're, we're going to be back on Monday with that episode that we keep talking about where we're going to be showing you the things that we're investing in that we think people are spending their stimulus money on. The the, the best way to to profit from people spending their stimulus money Um, We also have to remind you. Let me see if I can pull my graphic up. Monday's
2: episode is going to be hot. Like, I I can't wait. I'm actually, it's been a while since I've really, like, really looked forward to an episode. Like, I'm really looking forward to this one because it's just fun. I've been doing the research. I have a lot of ideas. I want to talk them through with you guys. I I want to hear comments. I want to hear. By the way, if you guys have any have any ideas for monday's episode what we're
1: we're coming with ideas but you can leave comments in this episode in the in the comments that are under the replay of this episode which will be uh live as soon as as soon as we're done um leave comments about your ideas because we're going to be talking about the thing we're going to each come with ideas we're going to be looking for the chat and if you have anything that you want us to research let us know in the comments absolutely and be sure you, uh. there's a new smash the like button graphic. <laughs> smash the like button. It does help us out with the YouTube algorithm. Ding. Great <laughs> Not weekend, subscribed, we, ne- we We want you to sc- subscribe to both of our channels, Dumb Money and Dumb Money Live. Also my other channel. Hey there, Dave here. Thank you guys so much for watching. We are Dumb Money. We will see you on Monday.